we're back! Okay, we're back with episode number 28 of Original Versus Cover with DJ Crystal Clear and Engineer Extraordinaire. It's the Dr. Paul Bertolino! I am the Dr. Paul Bertolino! <laughs> Yeah! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, I was in tears the other day at work. I was in a pose listening to episode 26 when, when oh, the Bob Dylan. <laughs> Bob Dylan. Oh, what? I remember us talking about Lady Lady Lay. What happened? Yeah, when you imitated him, you're like, my big brass bass. <laughs> oh, right. Big brass bass. <laughs> Um, that's it. You sound like Yuki Dog. Oh man, you sound like Droopy Dog. That's good. All right. Okay. Song number one is "The Passenger," and it was uh, originally done by a James Osterberg, otherwise known as Iggy Pop from his fabulous album Lust for Life in 1977. Now, we did this song before in episode number five, and it's back because the cover I have, I just discovered a week ago. Somebody told oh, me Oh, yeah, that's it. right, because I'm thinking, oh, well, obviously the Susie version is going to be the cover, and that's like, no, we've already we done that. We did that because yeah. you hate it. Yeah. Um, yes, I do. You do. So somebody turned me on to this last week, and it's just as egregious it's oh. even more egregious. I think you'll hate it even more. Wow! So this episode's just uh... cut off to a like a yeah. rocket. Yeah. <laughs> and the cover is done by a Mr. David Hasselhoff. Oh well, shit. And the album is called "Party Your Hasselhoff." <laughs> but shit. when you when you look at it, the way that it's spelled out is lowercase H A S S. And then H-O-F-F, so it's like part of your ass off. Due to slick. Genius, yes, right? Yes, the guy's really just like, that. that is a, a wink and a nod I right mean, there. I mean, come on. It's marketing genius. So, for those who don't remember, uh, the song was written by Iggy Pop and Ricky Gardiner, recorded and released on Lust for Life in 77, which is one of the best albums in existence, I think. Definitely, definitely Iggy's best album, that's for sure. It's his best solo album by, yeah. by far. Leaps and bounds. But just, that's a record I can listen to over and over and over and over and never get bored with it. It's so great. And uh, it was also released as the B-side of the album's only single called... Uh, Lust for Life. Success. Oh, success. Oh, success. I'm sorry. You know what? I was... <laughs> you know what's funny? <laughs> you, when you said that... I, I literally had just, I looked over to the side. You guys can't see this because oh, right. you're only listening. <laughs> yeah. But I looked over to the side and I quite literally tuned out and was like, <laughs> So I didn't even know. I don't what think I, I even knew what about. you asked me just now. <laughs> you, you just like snapped me out of like a weird bubble I was in. <laughs> Were you staring at your Charlie Brown Christmas tree? I was, yeah, I was Charlie Brown Christmas tree. No, I was, I was staring at my Kiss Dynasty action oh, figures. Right. But that's the thing. I wasn't even focusing well, on them. My head the was just like. Splits. Uh, it's something over there yeah they're all appealing i will say that uh yeah so yes yeah, success here comes success, success. Here yes comes success. success uh released as a single on its own right in march 1998 uh uk charts yada 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 so the lyrics were written by iggy pop 
and Berlin's S-Bahn. They have been interpreted as embodying the nomadic spirit of the punk outcast. Um, Ricky worked with Pop and David Bowie. He composed the music. The song is loosely based on a poem by Jim Morrison. And in an interview with The Guardian, Pop said the passenger was partly inspired by touring with David Bowie. Quote, I've been riding around North America and Europe in David's car ad infinitum. I didn't have a driver's license or a vehicle. So he was kind of stuck, I guess. <laughs> when would that ever stop Iggy Pop? From doing anything. And the band is top-notch. So it's Iggy Pop on lead vocals, David Bowie on piano, organ, and backing vocals. And you hear him through a megaphone or whatever in the background of this song. And uh, Ricky played lead guitar, Carlos Alomar on rhythm, Tony sales bass, Hunt sales drums. It's, it's you know it's the Tin Machine with with Iggy on vocals. Yes, Tin Machine, <laughs> but a better Tin Machine. A way better. Jesus the Christ. best Tin Machine ever. The before, only good one. The, uh, yeah, but like yeah, Tin Machine sucks. If you guys haven't figured that out, we talked about that a while ago. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so. Listen to that whole album. Listen to this song. It's fantastic. The David Hasselhoff, however... We're just going to have to listen to it. I can't really talk about it. Okay, 
<clears throat> somehow this brings to mind Todd Rundgren producing Sean Cassidy. <laughs> Am I... Uh, uh, right? Uh, yes. yes. That's exactly the first thing I thought, especially the... You yeah. know, in the beginning. So, I think this is really... It's so... Uh, it's so weird, because this came out, like, last week. It's 2021 record. But it sounds like 1996. With the the compression yeah. and the Euro beat in the background. It sounds like... Remember those crazy compilation albums like, this is, you know, uh, this is pop music, 1997 or whatever, and they would do like a Stars on 45 track in the background and then every hit song yeah, just to yeah. that? That's exactly what this is. But it's 2021. Why? Like, the best thing about it is that you can understand the lyrics clearly. Well, I mean, the I will backside, say... The city's backside? You know how many people don't know what that is, what Iggy Pop is saying? Right. Well, I, I will say that Hasselhoff, his his voice, he sounds sounds way better than I would have thought. I think that is sweetened to the hilt. Oh, well, yeah, sure. I mean, I, yeah, I no doubt about it, but I just mean the... The timber? Yeah, I mean, aside from him hitting notes, which that's going to be able to be uh, sweetened, like you said. Yeah. But... Just the actual, yeah, like you said, the timbre of his voice isn't really that bad. No. He's an okay singer. You know, like, yeah. he's got he's got a nice tone. You know, he's okay. Yeah. When, and I, I don't even know if I would even say in general. I just mean I feel like he's, he's kind of imitating Iggy. Oh, yeah. And he's not really doing that bad of a job of it. For David Hasselhoff, it's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But uh, his other songs, I don't know. I don't know, you know. Yeah. If you want to torture yourselves, people, listen to the... Yeah, Sweet Caroline. <laughs> yeah. Does he do his best David or Neil Neil Diamond on that? Uh, I can't help, can't help falling in love. I just... D- I, I just died in your arms tonight. I just died in your arms tonight. Uh, always on my mind. You're always on my mind. Right here waiting. Hungry eyes. Hey, Tommy. We got <laughs> Oh, shit. I should call Tommy right now and make him listen to this. It never rains in Southern California. Oh, God. We didn't start the fire. Ooh. And I will carry you. This came out September 3rd. Yeah. Good good for David. Now, and there's a video. There's a passenger. Oh, we're going to have to watch that before I leave. Oh god. I'm sure I'm sure it's a treat. Ah, <laughs> you know it is. Cuz he did he did there was a, a cover version he did probably 20 years ago of um Hooked on a Feeling. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. And there was a and the video. You haven't lived till you've seen the video, video for that. When when I was on the road with Persephone's bees, we we would just <laughs> sit there with the computer up and just we were helpless with laughter watching this video. Oh, and he has a video for Sweet Caroline too. Okay, that's good. Oh, but, oh, but what I want to say about David Hasselhoff though, the thing about him though is that he gets it. Like mm-hmm. he's not being sick. Like he oh, knows. No. He, he knows, knows that people. He knows that he's he, considered yeah. ridiculous, and and it's it's a big ironic thing. Like he right. he knows where he stands. Yeah, and he's making money. That's he's making money. All he cares yeah. about, you know, because nobody's hiring from him for acting jobs. Right. Anything serious, 
you know, what was the last movie kind of thing he did? Sharknado, maybe? I don't know. It's like... But he was doing that all the way back into the 80s. He had an album in the 80s called Night Rocker. Do you remember the I Night do. Rocker album? Him standing on kit yes. with a guitar, <laughs> you know, like was hip, kind of swiveled. <laughs> yeah. Night Rocker. I do. Well, if you're going to stand on the top of the Berlin Wall with a scarf that looks like a piano keyboard that lights up with your brown leather jacket you can't even wear a black leather jacket it's a brown leather jacket and you're going to be it's a a freedom that's I mean (laughs) yeah you know it's the Hoff, It's dude. the Hoff. Yeah, that's the Hoff. So obviously Iggy Pop wins that. I mean, give me a fucking I mean, break. Oh, yeah. Did we even need to say that? Well, for some people, they we can't leave them hanging. All right. Song number two. It's called Reach Out, I'll Be There. Yeah, shit. The original was done by the Four Tops from their album Reach Out <laughs> in 1967. And this has been covered by 89 million people. But the only cover I'm going to go with here is by the Cow Sills. And it's from their album, The Cow Sills in Concert, in 1969. I could have done Diana Ross. I could have done Gloria Gaynor. I went with the Cow Sills. I mean, come on. Why do Diana Ross and Gloria Gaynor? What's the point? When you could do the Cow Sills. When I could do the Cow Sills, yeah. yeah. So, uh, Reach Out, I'll Be There also formatted as Reach Out and then I'll Be There in parentheses, is a song written and produced by Motown's main production team, Hollyand, Hollyand, I can't even talk, Holland Dozier Holland. The song is one of the best-known Motown tunes of the 60s and is today considered the Four Tops' signature song. It was the number one song on the Rhythm and Blues chart for two weeks, only two weeks, and on the Billboard Hot 100 for, for two weeks? What? From October 15th to October 22nd of 1966. It also reached number one in the UK. And, uh, oh, becoming the second UK chart topper after the Supremes' Baby Love. Rolling Stone later ranked this version number 206 on its list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Billboard ranked the record as the number four song for 1966. How is it only on the chart for two weeks? Well, they need to leave room for fucking tossing and turning to be on for like five months. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. And I I keep forgetting about this time period where everybody had a number one song every other week. Like, yeah, nobody stayed on the charts for more than two weeks because then it was like, boom, another Supreme song. Boom, another this song. The boom, Beatles, the Beatles were Beatles always coming and in and knock everybody out, off. But yeah. then the Beatles would get knocked off. Usually by the Beatles, but... <laughs> <laughs> right, by themselves. <laughs> or, yeah. or by the Supremes, you know? Right, yeah, that was a constant uh, thing. Mm. In 1966, Holland, Dozier, and Holland were writing a new song for the Four Tops to record for an album. Lamont Dozier said that he wanted to write, quote, a journey of emotions with sustained tension, like a bolero. To get this across, I alternated the keys from a minor Russian feel in the verse to a major gospel feel in the chorus. He developed the lyrics with Eddie Holland, aiming for them to sound as though they were being thrown down vocally. Dozier said that they were strongly influenced by Bob Dylan at the time, commenting, We wanted Levi Stubbs to shout song the lyrics as a shout out to Dylan. (laughs) Shout, as a shout out to Dylan. As a shout out to Dylan, yeah. Um... 
For the recording, the writers and producers intentionally put Levi Stubbs at the top of his vocal range, according to Abdul Fakir of The Four Tops, to make sure he'd have that cry and hunger and wailing in his voice. Arranger Paul Reiser, Paul Reiser, overdubbed instruments including a piccolo and flute into the intro and a drum pattern made by using a timpani, mallets, and a ta- on a tambourine head. Interesting. Well, that's stuff for the gearheads. So, uh, you know, Levi Stubbs is one of the best singers in the solar system of all time. And, yeah, to make him stick at the top of his range, he did sound like he was wailing and crying and in pain. Because I guess he kind of was. But, uh, yeah. Oh, and that whole, um, just look over your shoulder, he ad-libbed that. That was not in the lyrics. So, the cover by the Cow Sills. For people who do not know the Cow Sills, uh, they were the inspiration for the Partridge family. I hope a lot of people know that. And they were an American singing group from Newport, Rhode Island. Six siblings. Noted for performing professionally and singing harmonies at an early age. Oops. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Oh. Um, sorry, we're taking care of technical t- stuff here. Uh, no t- technical difficulties. Uh, and then later their mom joined the band. It was formed in early 65 by brothers Bill, Bob, and Barry. And their brother John joined shortly thereafter. Uh, originally, Bill and Bob played guitar. Barry played the drums. When John learned to play the drums and joined the band, Barry started playing bass. Who played bass before that? Nobody? John Whistle. <clears throat> oh, right. After their initial success, the brothers were joined by Susan and Paul, along with their mother, Barbara, a seventh sibling. Bob's fraternal twin brother, Richard, was never part of the band during its heyday, although he occasionally appeared with them later in years. Uh, over the summer, I was cat-sitting for um, a friend of mine, Bet, And... I, I think I told you about this. I, there's a documentary on the Cowsills. It was on yeah, Netflix, I, I think, and... I was gobsmacked at this thing because it was just so like a it was a soap opera. Yeah, yeah. Between yeah. All of the them. shit that those guys went through, it was pretty wild. Yeah, abusive father. Yeah, mentally and physically. Right. And uh, mother who just kind of like meh, you know. Oh well. Well. <laughs> whatever you whatever you think is best, best here. Yeah. yeah. Terrible. Uh, yeah. So. We're going to listen to both of these and then wonder why the cow seals did this. <laughs> I wonder why the cow seals were allowed to do allowed it. Allowed to do it, yeah.
Interesting. Very interesting, right? Well, you know what? Mm. I'm not I, mad at I it. I don't think it's that bad. Uh, no. It's, it's like, you know, I, really, it's only on paper that you go, what? But then it's <laughs> like, well, you know what? You know what? They're just such good singers. Like, in particular, the backing vocals on that are really good. Really, really good. The yeah. lead vocal is passable. Like, he's, that, like he's a good singer, but him singing on that song is merely passable. It's like, it's not... It's not it's not problematic to yeah. use modern jargon. <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, come on. Yeah. Come on. Who who wins that? I mean, come on. <laughs> Obviously the four tops yeah. win this. I I mean, come on. But I'm not mad at that because of it's what okay. you just said. The 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 backing vocals are crazy. And he's trying to sound like Levi Stubbs, but for a bunch of uptight white kids from Newport, Rhode Island. It's that's okay. pretty swinging. It's all right. And that's, and that's alive, too. I mean, well, who yeah. knows? It, it may have been sweetened up in the studio, but I mean, the, the fact they could do it at all, studio or live, you yeah. know, is okay. That's pretty good. Yeah, but the four tops take that, I mean. Yeah. Come on. Let's get real here. All right. Uh, so, uh-oh, there's my ride. <laughs> there's a fire somewhere in the neighborhood. Uh, song number three, it's called Black Magic Woman. And the original was done by Fleetwood Mac in 1968, released as a single. And the cover was done by Santana in 1970 from the album Abraxas. That's the right way to say it, right? Abraxas. I think so. I don't think there's any kind of thing going on there. All right. So for people who are like, Fleetwood Mac, they didn't do Black Magic Woman. Stevie Nicks didn't sing that. There was a Fleetwood Mac before Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham, people. When Stevie Nicks was in junior high, high school, all right, elementary school, yeah. <laughs> there was a Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> so get familiar with Peter Green because that was his band, Fleetwood Mac, um, and it was written by Peter Green and it first appeared as a single in 1968. Subsequently, the song appeared on the 1969 Fleetwood Mac compilation albums English Rose here in the United States. The Pious Bird of Good Omen in the UK. So. Yeah, well, it was just a, a single in the UK, and The Pious Bird of Omen, or whatever, Omus, or whatever the Good fuck, omen. was a comp album. Yeah. Pious Bird of Omen? Pi- the Pious Bird of Good Omen. Oh, Good That's Omen. That's very right. British. Yeah. And as well as the later Greatest Hits and Vintage Years compilations. Um, in 1970, the song became a hit by Santana, as sung by who? Uh God, you caught me again. I started fucking zoning. I literally started fucking oh zoning. Okay, repeat that question. All right. God, sorry guys. You know, I, I had I had you coffee. had coffee. I had coffee and now and it's like now I'm like. <laughs> now you're drinking ginger ale. Ginger ale must be bringing me down. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh. Well, you don't have to repeat everything. Just uh, you know, just Who? lead lead into that question. Again. All right. Who sang on the Santana version? Who sang on the Santana version? Uh, yeah. But what's his fuck? Who was in Journey? Um, uh, <laughs> I know his name, but my brain is oh not. My God. Greg Raleigh. Ding 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 ding. Yeah, there Jesus we Christ. go. I kept I, I I kept my lips almost kept saying <coughs> Dave Grohl <laughs> because of course Dave Grohl is everywhere and everything. Uh, yes, uh, yes. But uh, no, <laughs> Greg Raleigh, who we saw, didn't he? We saw Ringo and yeah. Ringo's All-Star Band, he was one of the members. Didn't he do that? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yep. Sure did. Um, 
Yeah, Greg Raleigh. From, Greg yeah, Raleigh. Jesus. So there you go, from people. Journey. <laughs> that was quite a quite a journey, as it were, yes. to ding, get ding, to that ding. answer. Uh, the song was also covered by erstwhile Fleetwood Mac member Bob Welch on his 2006 album, his Fleetwood Mac Years and Beyond Volume Two. How do you get two volumes out of that, <laughs> Bob Welch? What the hell? Um, although he was not a member of the group at the time of the original recording, he performed a number of Peter Green songs during his time with the band. So, <clears throat> Peter Green has acknowledged that Black Magic Woman was influenced by All Your Love, an Otis Rush song that had been recorded two years earlier by Green's former band, John Mayall and the Blues Breakers. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows about that band, right? And you know who's in that band? Eric. Well, lots of people were, but uh, yeah, Eric John, John McVie was in it. John McVie, Eric Clapton, uh, a bunch of other losers. So, um, their version was not as popular as the Santana version, but it became a fairly popular blues rock hit, peaking at 37 on the UK singles chart. And Fleetwood Mac put it in their live lists after Green left the band, when it was usually sung by Danny Kirwan. Yeah, he was a he was a later '60s edition who was there like in the late '60s. He was there. He was in during that transitional period. He came in right before Peter Green left, and he remained about an album in after Bob Welch came in, and then oh. he left. So he's like this weird little band aid in between. Thing. Got it. Uh, during Fleetwood Mac concerts in the early '70s, the song would often form. Uh, it would be the beginning of a mid-show jam. And uh, the song had the same chord structure, guitar breaks, and even a similar melody to Green's I Loved Another Woman from the band's 1968 debut album and may have evolved out of an earlier song. So the Santana cover is a medley with Gabor Sabo's 1966 instrumental Gypsy Queen, a mix of jazz, Hungarian folk, and Latin rhythms. The song became one of Santana's staples and one of their biggest hits, with the single spending 13 weeks on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, peaking at number four in January of 1971, their highest peaking Hot 100 hit until 1999 Smooth. <laughs> mm. Santana's 1970 album, Abraxas, went to number one on the charts and hit quadruple platinum in 1986, partially thanks to Black Magic Woman. So, uh, everybody knows this song. Yeah. The cover, anyway. A lot of people don't, yeah, like I said, they don't know about the original Fleetwood Mac and they don't know about the original version of it. Right. So for you who are unindoctrinated, you're going to hear both. And then we're going to figure something out. I got a black magic woman. I got a black magic woman. Yes, I got a black magic woman. Got me so blind I can't see. But she's a black magic woman and she's trying to make a devil out of me. Don't turn your back on me, baby Don't turn your back on me, baby Yes, don't turn your back on me, baby You're messing around with your tricks Don't turn your back on me, baby Cause you might just break up my magic stick (laughs) 
So, this is a song that I don't ever have to hear again for the rest of my life. Let's yeah, start off with that. I would agree. It's it's a good song, and I like it, but... It, yeah, it's a great song. I'm speaking specifically about the Santana cover. But, uh, yeah, I'm just tired of hearing it. It's great. He did a great cover of it, I think. A lot of people did not know about Greg Raleigh. They assumed that Carlos Santana was singing. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, you should never assume. Like, yeah, that. You ever notice how almost every album has a different voice on it? Uh, yeah, because he's always got a different singer. A singer. He's he's he plays guitar. He doesn't sing. Um. Well, yeah, he does sort of sing, but not really. So. Uh. You got to choose. <laughs> you got. You got to pick a winner, baby. Uh. I uh. I. I can't pick a winner. Now, are you having difficulty because you li- like you think both of them are so good, or you are so like not into both of them? I think I think it's because I'm so not into either one. I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, I it's a it's a great song, but I don't. It, either one doesn't really do anything for me. Yeah. Like, out of yeah. all the Peter Green Fleetwood Mac stuff, it's just kind of like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I mean, I would choose Santana just because that's just sort of just the classical version that I always liked, you know? I mean, I, I yeah, I mean, I'm like you, though. I mean, I don't really need to listen to that ever again. Yeah. It's, as much as I may like some of that early Santana stuff, yeah, that's just been done to death, that one. Right. And I mean, I, I'll even listen to Evil Ways oh over God, that shit. No way will I listen to that. Uh, I think The Feather in the Cap is Greg Raleigh, because he's yeah. just such a great voice, and I've always yeah. loved his singing. And then for people who really don't know anything about this version, there are there's a short version that's 3 minutes and 15 seconds, and then the longer version with the Gypsy Queen shit in it is 8 minutes and 56 seconds long. And it's yeah. just way too, it's way too long. It's too long. You know, it's the like, rent's too damn high. The rent's too damn high. It's seventy four, so they're going to go on a jam or whatever, because that's what the hippies did. But yeah, <sighs> enough already. All right, episode number four. Oh, episode, episode number, number four. four. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting retro here. Oh, I should have had some coffee. Uh, although I don't drink coffee. <clears throat> Song number four is called Fever. And the original version was done by a little Willie John from an album called Fever in 1956. And this song has been covered by a lot of people over the years. Elvis Presley, Boney M, Madonna, Christina Aguilera, Michael Buble, The McCoys, La Lupe, and Beyonce. <laughs> So, I'm La not... Lupe, who's that? I have no idea, La Lupe. <laughs> I've never heard of them, uh, or them, or it, whatever. So, um, the one cover I'm going to go with is the one that everybody knows, is by Peggy Lee, yeah. from 1958. So, it's a song written by Eddie Cooley and Otis Blackwell, who used the pseudonym John Davenport. What's wrong with Otis Blackwell? That's better than John Davenport. You know what? I, I believe there's a Paul Revere and the Raiders version of that. Oh, word? Yeah. Oh, shit, I didn't see that. Uh, it was originally recorded by R&B singer Little Willie John for his debut album, Fever, and released as a single in April of the same year. The song topped the Billboard R&B 
charts, bestsellers in the U.S. and peaked at number 24 on the pop chart. It was received positively by music critics and included on several lists of the best songs during the time it was released. So the cover by Peggy Lee, ooh, excuse me, um, from May 1958, uh, she did it in Hollywood, which featured significantly rewritten lyrics composed by Lee herself without credit. The song was not included on her album Things Are Swingin' when it was first released in 1959, but this was a bonus track on the 2004 reissue. The uncopyrighted lyrics by Lee featured historical invocations, including the verses beginning Romeo, Love, Juliet, and Captain Smith and Pocahontas, and are now generally thought of as a standard part of the song. They've been included in most subsequent covers of this song. So she arranged it and uh, worked with her conductor, Jack Marshall, on a slower tempo version of the original. It was described as being a torchy lounge song, accompanied only by bass, played by Joe Mondragon, and a very limited drum set, played in part with his fingers, by Shelly Mann, while the finger snaps were provided by herself or Howard Roberts, the guitarist for the date, who put his guitar down during the recording and snapped his fingers instead. <laughs> wow, so somebody kept records of that. Okay, who did the snapping? Uh, who did the snapping? Howard? Was that you? Okay. Um, yeah, so the original is a howlin', you know... I already, I've never heard it, yet I already know how it sounds. <laughs> Yo, you never heard it? Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, it's... Well, you know how it sounds. Yeah, it's, it sounds like fucking Howlin' Wolf or some shit, right? Well, not Howlin' Wolf. The, his voice is different. He's not doing that. Oh, no, 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 no. But it's, but it's just like it's, it's just like a blues song. It's, it's a blues song, yeah. yeah. And then Peggy Lee comes in and makes it this sultry, you know, Vegasy thing. Yeah. Um, well, she did that thing where, like, that's her song. Yeah, like, she, she stole she it. She took that and made it hers. Yeah, com- and rewrote. Uh, Literally rewrote shit, Major yeah. lines and uncredited or whatever, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's her signature song. And Madonna, I could have tortured you with that, but I didn't. Um, you know, it was 1992. It was from her Erotica album. So it was all synths and... All synths and suckage. <laughs> and suckage, yeah. I wonder if Tommy likes that version. What am I asking that question <laughs> Tell me. for? Let us know in the Let comments, know, will you? Let us know, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me in the comments, Tommy. Is that your favorite version? So we're going to listen to uh, both of these and then uh, choose a winner. Call my name 
wasn't as bland, uh, you know, blues yeah. as I expected it to be. Yeah. Like, it actually, I don't think it sounds that much different from hers. Uh, no, it doesn't. Um, or, I, or should I say hers doesn't sound that much different from his. Is, yeah, hers is just, you know, a couple of clicks slower. But I think that uh, his voice, it, I, I really like it. Because um, it's it's not some growly. Blah, 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 yeah, he's blah, not blah. doing the Howlin' Wolf thing. <laughs> and his his range is is great. And sometimes it sort of sounds like a woman, ish, a little bit going into the chorus. But I love the horns, the lurching, you know, the minor key piano, ding, the piano. Uh, you know, you can't go wrong with a Barry Sax. I love yeah. Barry Sax. So it's a tie for me. I like them both equally. Well, I'm going to go with the original. A what? Yeah. All right. I think, uh, yeah, I, it did not sound the way I expected it to sound, and I think I like his voice on it better. Yeah. You know what it is? I just, I never was that big of a fan of Peggy Lee's version of that song. I never was a big fan of that song, probably because of that version. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 like, I like that one. I like the way it sounds. Yeah, it's good. I really dig it. It's great. Listen to him, people. Yeah. Listen to more of his music, Little Willie John. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of compilations with all the stuff, and it that shit smokes. It's really good. All right, song number five is called She Don't Use Jelly. Oh, okay. <laughs> and the original was done by The Flaming Lips in 1993. It's their biggest hit to date, biggest radio hit to date, and it's from their album Transmissions from the Satellite Heart. And the cover version I have is by Ben Folds 5 from their album Live at Sony Music Studio in 1997. I was going to say, geez, let me guess, that can't possibly be 90s also. <laughs> yeah. So the original, I think this is probably their most popular song ever like maybe the only song that a lot of people know by the flaming lips because it was a huge radio hit and it's so weird and quirky wait is that the one where he's like i got a friend who looks like Cher? oh god i fucking hate that shit so much <laughs> i know you do i know i'm sorry paul oh my god so uh <laughs> The original, discussing the song, the band's website states, quote, with its chiming pedal steel chorus breaks and seemingly, seemingly nonsensical lyrics, the song entered into the realms of novelty hit. It's a happy little ditty about strange people and their individual idiosyncrasies with pretty melodies, shut up, laced throughout and punctuated by trademark moments of crunching but still harmonious noise. 
Harmonious? I don't know about that. Harmonious noise. The song describes a girl who, quote, thinks of ghosts and puts Vaseline on toast, a guy who goes to shows and uses magazines to blow his nose, and another girl that reminds... (laughs) Reminds the narrator of Cher and uses tangerines to make her hair orange. Wayne Cone? How do you say his last name? Wayne Coyne. Coyne? I think. C-O-Y-N-E. I mean, I'm no, I'm no expert on the flaming lips. Because I've, I've heard people say C-O-Y-N-E, Coyne, uh, has stated the song came to me very quickly and I thought it was sort of funny. That's all he has to say about it. So it became really popular because it was all over the radio and it was featured on Beavis and Butthead. Oh, well. Yeah. Um, nearly a year later after it was released. It's still their highest charting single to date and the only to chart in the U.S. Billboard Hot 100, even entering the top 10 of the Modern Rock Tracks chart at number 9. And uh, the band appeared on Beverly Hills 90210. Oh, shit. Which they played live at the show's hangout, The Peach Pit. (laughs) Did they play that song? They did. Wow. Yeah. Afterwards, supporting character Steve Sanders, but played by Ian Ziering, remarks, You know, I've never been a big fan of alternative music, but these guys rock the house. Oh, God, I can just see that doof. <laughs> I love it. So, um, they play it all the time, and uh, Wayne Coyne is a weird dude, but I kind of like him. He's got good hair, <laughs> and he wears three-piece suits. I'm a sucker for that. Uh, but uh, it's a weird song. And the Ben Folds 5 cover. Does everybody know who Ben Folds 5 is? You're Probably. familiar with them? They you, should. You're familiar with them, right? Yeah. So Ben Folds 5 is a piano guy. And he his original music... I, I like a couple of those songs. I can't name them off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. <laughs> but... But I. But, but can you can you even remember them? Off the I, top can't, of your, I can't. I yeah. can't. I honestly can't. But there you go. That's that. That says everything I need to say about them. <laughs> yeah. But I'll. You know. It's. I. I don't hate it. It's okay. So, the cover is interesting because it's. He's a piano player, and um, it's an up tempo lounge version. Let's say. Oh, get it. it! This shit is getting more and more '90s by the second. <laughs> a lounge version, a <laughs> tempo, up tempo lounge, lounge version. Nothing, it none more '90s. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we're gonna listen to these and figure out which one Paul hates the most. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's gonna be a tough call. Oh yeah.
<laughs> so it's 55 seconds into the Ben Folds 5 cover. <clears throat> it's more than it deserved. So which one do you hate the most? The original. <laughs> because I fucking hate that guy's voice so much. It's so fucking obnoxious. It's it's just sounds it just sounds contrived. Like it's that it's one of those trying so hard to be weird, you mm-hmm. know, kind of voices. And I really hate the Ben Folds Five version too. But basically, any version that does not include Wayne Coyne's vocal, that's the version I like. <laughs> so it's Ben Folds for you. Yes. All right, I'll say this. I like them both. It's a tie for me. I don't. Mu- I understand everything that you're saying about Wayne <laughs> Coyne's voice. I get it. it is stu- stupid, contrived. Not only is he doing this thing on purpose, but he's also like has effects on it too. So it's even weirder with the mic compression or whatever. And uh, you know, it's just it's a stupid song. It's just one of those dumb songs like that just gets stuck in your head. And it's it's funny, you know. She uses Vaseline. It's just it's nonsensical farce. And I love the Ben Folds Five because he really put a lot of everything it's a kitchen sink thing. Cause it's this Vegas <laughs> up tempo deal and then when it goes into the chorus, the sweeping strings and the nah, backing vocals. He could have just played it straight, but he really put some major production into it. it yeah, made it he did. Different than the but original. I guess it's just like, you know, but it's still, okay, it's the 90s. We're going to do this ironic cover, and we're going to do, hey, everybody, check this out. Okay, get ready for this. We're <laughs> going to do a lounge version. Whoa! Whoa! It's like, yeah. Yeah, okay. I understand. <laughs> I completely understand what you're saying. But, but I, but you're right. I mean, he did he did he didn't just throw that shit together. Yeah, that t- that put he put some effort into that. I I like it. And with headphones on, it sounds even better because you're getting all of it. You know, the sense around sound or whatever the hell they call it. All right, here comes the last song of this episode. Song number six. It's called "It's Too Late, Baby." It's too late, baby. And the original was done by Carol King. From what album, Paul? Uh, <laughs> Silk Degrees. Right. Frampton Comes Alive. <laughs> Almost. Almost. I just want to make sure you weren't zoning out. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Tapestry, 1971. And it's the B-side to what? <laughs> Baby, I love your way. I feel the earth move. <laughs> I mean, it's duh. I mean, come on, come on. It's oh, I'm sorry, low down. It's a there you low go, down. low down. Or what's the, oh, uh, it's over, it's over. Uh, <laughs> oh, Lido Shuffle. Oh sorry, God, that the that's one the one I hate. Yeah. yeah, I was like, which song is it that I hate? Lido Shuffle. Yeah. Uh, and then the cover I have is by the Stylistics. It was done in 1972 from their album called Round Two. Have you heard that? Of course, he's he's reaching into one of his record shelves. Well, whatever, it's down here. He's down here somewhere. He's finding it. So the original 
Is Too Late is a song from Carol King's 1971 album, Tapestry. Tony Stern wrote the lyrics and King wrote the music. It was released as a single in April 71 and reached number one on the Billboard's Hot 100 and Adult Contemporary charts. Sales were later gold certified by the RIAA. Billboard ranked it as, uh, and its fellow A-side, as the number three record for 1971. Uh, the lyrics describe the blameless end of a loving relationship. Music critic Dave Marsh saw implicit feminism because the woman left the man. Girl power. Uh, Marsh also remarked on the maturity of the theme. Robert Christgau wrote that if there's a truer song about breaking up than it's too late, the world, or at least AM radio, isn't ready for it. He described the melody as Tin Pan Alley and the arrangement as a cross between light jazz and L.A. studio craftsmanship. Rolling Stone remarked that King's warm, earnest singing on the song brought out the song's sadness. According to author James Perrone, the feel of the song is enhanced by the instrumental work of Danny Korchmar on guitar, Curtis Amy on sax, and King on piano. And uh, they each the sax solo and the piano solo. It's a minor key, you know, hit. I love it. And uh, it was a jig. You couldn't... It was on the radio every five seconds. You couldn't escape it. Oh, God, no. I mean, every station, didn't matter what it was, this song was on 5,000 times a day. So, I don't know, have you ever heard that before? Uh, no, it doesn't sound familiar at all. Um... Tony Stern told author Sheila Weller that she wrote the lyrics in a single day after her love affair with James Taylor ended. I didn't know that part. The recording won a Grammy Award for Record of the Year in 72, and the song is included in the Rolling Stones' 500 Greatest Songs of All Time. <laughs> oh, good old Rolling Stone, just telling us how shit is. Every year they make a list, uh, you know. Yeah, and I check it zero times. Exactly. Um, so the cover of the stylistics cover, um, it's the stylistics in 1970. <laughs> uh, it's too late, baby. Right? Two, yeah. It's Philly Soul. It's There's a xylophone in the opening. Uh, yeah, it's the stylistics. Yeah, you know, I actually really do have that album down there, but I don't think I've ever listened to that track. Oh, really? Okay. Well, you're going to listen to it now. Yeah. So we're going to listen to them and then uh, and then figure something out. <laughs>
Yeah, Philly International all the way. <laughs> I mean, wowza. Well, I mean, I, I definitely give that to Carol King just because it's just uh, yeah. Come on, but you know what? I think I think the stylist's version is pretty good. It's I love it. Yeah, I, I mean, really I. Love I, it. I I in my head when I was imagining what he his voice would sound like what's his name Russell or whatever yeah um, in my head it didn't sound like I'd like that's that's not gonna be good sounds really fucking good yeah and I and and the double track vocal and when I was a little kid hearing the stylistic songs on the radio I, I of course surprised thought it was a woman and and in fact, I don't know. I've mentioned this before. I don't know if it was on my podcast or I don't remember who I've said this to. But I've said it out loud to in, into the ether somewhere <laughs> that when I pictured what the singer of those songs looked like as a kid, I pictured somebody who looked like Velma from Scooby Doo. Oh, you told me this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just the weird the, the mind of a kid. kid yeah. You know, um, Velma. <laughs> but. He's never sounded more like a woman than he does on that track. Oh yeah, and the double—I mean, yeah—especially a double vocal. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but the the Philly International version of Kitchen Sink, xylophone, strings, horns. Yeah, like I was saying. Yeah, the people make the world go round. Yes. Xylophone. That's that's the first thing I caught at the beginning there. And then not you know going into the chorus right away. It, I really love it. Yeah, it's it's really really good. I mean, I in the end it's yeah, it's going to go to Carol King, but I mean, that's that's no slight against stylistics. Yeah. It's a tie for me. Because I I appreciate them both on their individual merits and the stylistics I mean, for lack of you know, it's the stylistic style. I mean, they follow the arrangement yeah. to the T, and everything is it's just like hers, but it's a Philly International record in well, 1972. Yeah, no, it's kind of like her, but this, it's definitely, without radically changing it, they do manage it to make it different. The, yeah. it's Yeah, it's them. Yeah. You know, you can't mistake that for anybody else. So, uh, it's a tie for me. I like them both. They're good. It's good. Carol King, she's great. I mean, what the fuck? All right, that is the end of episode number 28. 28! It's going to be our 30th anniversary soon, Paul. And we made it past the, uh, you know, that treacherous 27. That's right. We made it past 27. That's right, we live! We are not in the 27 Club, We are not club, in the 27 people. Club, yeah. That's awesome. Well, uh, yeah, that's great. So, um, thank you for listening, everybody. Appreciate it. Hope you learned some things. Um, you know... Listen to the original Fleetwood Mac and some Little Willie John and give Wayne Coyne a chance. <laughs> uh, all we are saying is don't give that motherfucker a chance. <laughs> a chance yeah. Don't give him nothing. Don't give him an inch. And listen to all of Lust for Life, that album from front to back. Just listen to all of it because it's really great. All right. Thank you for listening and happy motoring, everybody. Bye. Bye.